Well, it's good to see you. I'm Walter, your new pastor. <laughs> no, kidding. I've not been here for a long time, but it's such a privilege to be with you. Uh, I hear I've already made an unforgettable splash uh, by entering into the online meeting with my mic on. So you will have heard my beautiful singing during the worship. Uh, you won't have, but uh, uh, I could tell you that will be an unforgettable Sunday for those who've heard it. Uh, and uh, it's a privilege to be back. Uh, I would love to tell you loads of things about my sabbatical and lots of other things that God's been doing in that season, uh, but time will just run out, and uh, we're in the middle of our ACT series. There's so much to talk about. So next week, on the 17th of um, October, we, um, November, um, we're on October, yeah, here we go, uh, we've, um, we've got a, um, a church family meeting coming up. Did I get that right? Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we're going to tell you a bit more about lots of things that are happening, but also I'm going to give you a bit of an update about what's happening uh, around the sabbatical, give you some updates and feedback. So feel free to grab me afterwards uh, over coffee uh, or just a, a little chat or uh, otherwise come next week and you'll hear more about that. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to pick it up where um, uh, we're at in the book of Acts. What a wonderful series to the end of the earth. Are you excited about this series? Wow, I thought you were going to be much more excited about that. I'm very excited about that. There's so much in the book of Acts. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's jam-packed, full of all the adventures. And uh, Luke writes about it right at the start, verse 1. He talks about how his first gospel was about all the things that Jesus started to do and teach. Which means that Acts is the following-up story of all that Jesus continues to do and teach now through the early church, and it's a wild ride. As soon as we enter into chapter one, we can see loads of things happening. I mean, we've, we've seen that Jesus has risen from the dead. He spends time with his disciples to teach them about all the things that uh, he's about, which they misunderstood, and now he puts it in perspective. After 40 days, he uh, ascends up to heaven, and he promises the Holy Spirit to come down. 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes, and wow, it's a bang. The church is birthed, and uh, it's spreading out into the streets. I don't know about you, but there is a remarkable difference in the disciples between Acts 1 and Acts 2. Wouldn't you agree? We can see them huddling together in an upstairs room, being very fearful. And all of a sudden, Acts 2, we can see Peter standing up and boldly proclaiming the gospel. And a whole crowd flogs to hear it. Now, that's where we pick it up. Um, we can see uh, last week, Anna Goodman spoke about how the Holy Spirit came, how uh, Peter starts to explain how this is the promise that was foretold in Joel 2. We can read about that. And now he continues his conversation uh, with what probably would be a crowd of thousands starting to gather. And he says in Acts 2, verse 22, we'll pick it up. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. So he now starts to pick it up. He explains what's happened. Uh, the Holy Spirit's come, and he now starts to proclaim Jesus. Now, he starts with Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Jesus was a man from Nazareth, a very small village. And if you wind back the story all the way to the start of Jesus, start of his ministry, he was a nobody. He came from Nazareth. He had not gone to a rabbinic school. He was not well known. Um, he was just a nobody. 
But what happened is as he started to teach, signs and wonders started to follow him everywhere he went. And it's clear that God accredited his teaching by miracles and signs and wonders. If he had just been some sort of self-made rabbi from Nazareth who started to teach people and there was no proof of his power, he would have run out of steam pretty quickly. But God started to demonstrate it. And now here, the Jews had a man they couldn't place. This was a rabbi who had not been to a rabbinic school. He came from Nazareth. And um, they probably could argue with his teaching, with his habits. But the reality was that no one could argue with his miracles. He went around healing crippled people, blind people. Incredible. No one could argue that God was doing something. And we can see that Jesus very quickly gains momentum. Suddenly people start to follow him, listen to him. He starts to draw crowds. And we can see that this is a man who's got something to say. Now, it's not very long until the people start to think, wow, could this be the Savior, the Messiah that we're hoping for? And the, the people had in mind a savior that was promised in the Old Testament. And they lived under uh, that time under Roman rule. And they imagined this savior was going to save them from all the problems they had and make all their dreams come true. Now, as soon as Jesus starts uh, to stand up and teach and do miracles, they think, this is the one. He's going to save us. And they're about to crown him savior and rally a, a, a new revolution, a revolt against the Romans when Jesus starts to explain that that is not the Messiah, the savior that he had come to be. And he then starts to talk about what sort of Messiah he is going to be, a suffering Messiah, one who would suffer, who had come to take the place of his people. And the reality was that no one had place for a Messiah like that. They were all waiting for a military leader with power and miracles and signs who would kick out their enemies and make all their dreams come true. They did not have place for a Messiah who would die on a cross in their place. So what we can see is all the crowds, thousands, that turned toward him now start to turn away from him. And even his disciples are confused we can see that at the moment of Jesus' death, all his disciples have left him. All the crowds have left him. He's even betrayed by two of his disciples, Judas and Peter. And we can see that he is now handed over. And this is what Peter continues to say. So we pick it up in verse 23. He says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. I mean, this is looking pretty bleak. Everyone was excited about Jesus at first. But now, a Messiah hanging on a cross, deserted by his own people, by his own disciples, died. Now, imagine you lived in Jerusalem at that time. All you have seen is this some sort of Messiah that went around with signs and wonders, who was spat out by his own people, who was then nailed to a cross and died. Think, wow. What was that all about? End of story. All the Pharisees sighed a relieved sigh, and I thought, that's done with. And then, all of a sudden, 50 days later, we can see a man standing up on the street proclaiming that this Jesus, who hang on a cross, had come back to life. And around them, they can see signs and wonders all over again. Now you start to wonder, 
What was it about this Jesus? What is it about this Jesus that cannot be snuffed out? It is confusing, highly confusing. Now, Peter starts to explain what's happened. He says in verse 24, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Very powerful words. Now, I don't know about you, what you think of when you read that verse, but I immediately think of the story of Narnia. Has anyone read the story of Narnia? Yeah? In the story of Narnia, we can see that Aslan, who kind of represents Jesus, is um, uh, going to take the place of uh, Edward, who's kind of betrayed him, and he dies on the stone table. He's killed by his enemies. And we can see that in that story, um, the witch puts him to death. But after she thinks it's all over, the stone table breaks and Aslan comes back to life. Now we can see the little girls um, with Aslan in the story and um, they're asking about him what's happened and then he starts to explain and he starts to explain that if the witch had known about the deeper magic before the dawn of time, she would have known that a willing victim who had committed to treasury was killed in the traitor's stead, who had um, committed no treasury, was killed in the traitor's stead, the, the stone table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Now, this is what Jesus is all about. He was the one, he was the willing victim who had committed no treasury, who was killed in our place, who start to break and reverse death itself. And his resurrection was only the start, because now the disciples had undergone a resurrection too. You see, the disciples had been hiding fearfully, had betrayed him, completely confused and disillusioned, and now they had emerged, full of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And if we read on, we can see that Peter is now a bold preacher. We can read that Jesus spent 40 days um, teaching his disciples. We can read about that in Luke uh, chapter 24 he was opening their minds so they would understand that he would be a Messiah who would suffer and rise from the dead. And now Peter's heart has been transformed. He's standing up and he's starting to preach and he starts to explain to the fellow Jews what was foretold in the Old Testament. We can see uh, several prophetic words that he starts to explain uh, that come from the mouth of David to show that Jesus was the promised Messiah who would come back from the dead, that this was foretold all along. And we can see that he would be the descendant on David's throne, not an earthly throne, not an earthly Messiah trying to fulfill our earthly dreams, but a heavenly Messiah, taking us way beyond where we could ever imagine to be, sitting at the right hand of God. And then he explains in verse 32, it's almost a small, insignificant verse, that God had raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. He's become a witness of the resurrection. And that's where I want to um, look at you, look with you together what this means for us. What does it mean to live as a witness of the resurrection? Peter had stood up and he had proclaimed the message about the resurrection of Jesus. And he had said, This man had died and he's risen again. But he wasn't just a witness of Jesus' resurrection as a 
verbal sense. He was a witness of the resurrection in an embodied sense. He himself had undergone a process of resurrection. He had betrayed Jesus. He, uh, Jesus had died on the cross. I mean, Peter's Messiah um, looked very different from how Jesus looked. He, he had to put his old dreams to death, and now Peter had received a new dream. Jesus had opened his mind and showed him what he had come to be. So Peter was not just one who said, well, I've seen the empty tomb, I've seen Jesus risen again, um, I'm a witness of the resurrection. No, he was an embodied witness of the resurrection. This was the church being resurrected in power to proclaim the message of Jesus that would go way beyond where Jesus had been. And this was a resurrection that Peter had lived through himself. And this same is true for us. Now, to live as a witness of the resurrection... Something has first got to die. That's the painful bad news. I don't know about you, but for the last 18 months, we have undergone a lot of dying, letting go, dreams passing away. For some of us, this has literally meant loved ones dying, passing away, people that we know. For some of us, it means that Hopes and dreams have died. Maybe jobs have been lost. Um, uh, uh, sweet memories with your family that you were looking forward to make have been lost. Holidays have been lost. All sorts of things have been lost. Anyone here in this room who's not lost something over the last 18 months? All of us. As a church, we've lost something. We've not been able to do this for 18 months. We've not been able to gather together. Um, we're... We've had some lost dreams. We're now back here at the Fletton Center. I don't know about you, but um, that's not the start I had in mind coming back from COVID. Did you? No. Even during COVID, we were shooting for a building project. That got lost. I don't know about you, but I'm miffed about that. Yeah? Yeah, it's okay to be upset about these things. Um, in, in the meantime, we're going through a, a process of transition. And that means that God has taken us from Peterborough to Holland, which is a loss for us because it means we're having to say goodbye and reimagining new dreams. But it starts with something, first of all, dying. And we probably have got more questions now than we have answers, which is a process of death and confusion, isn't it? Now, in our lives, we long for a Messiah who would just fix it like that. We want Jesus to be the miracle worker and the sign worker that all the Jews thought he was. We want him to fix everything and fix it tomorrow. Right? That's realistic, isn't it? The reality is that Jesus is not that kind of Messiah. He's not come to fulfill your partly earthly few little dreams. He has come to bust your dreams to kill your dreams, to rise you to a new life with him that will blow your mind. He wants you to live for an eternal life. He wants you to live in an eternal dream that he will take you on that will go way beyond what you could ever imagine. Now, in order to do that, we've got to learn how to let go of the old, hold on to Jesus in the confusing in-between, and let God birth the new out of the old. 
Now, I haven't thought of that myself. Peter Cazero, um, a, a wonderful writer, has written that about his, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. I encourage you to read that book if you can. Um, but he talks about how the process of resurrection is still what Jesus is about in his people, in his church, and those who follow him. He talks about how we need to learn how to let go of the old. Now, we could all be clinging on to what we have lost, but the reality is you're not going to get it back. The last 18 months, you won't get back. Did you know that? Well, you might hope so, but you're not going to get it back. And where you're starting now is not picking up where you've left it 18 months ago. We've got to learn how to surrender these things to Jesus. I mean, why do you think it took 50 days between Jesus' resurrection and Peter standing up in the street to proclaim the gospel? It took 50 days of confusion for God to open their minds and teach them and learning how to let go of the Messiah they had hoped Jesus to be in order to receive him as the Messiah that he would be. And we're currently going through this process. We're in those 50 days, the confusing in between. Now, what did the disciples have to do in that season? They had to learn to hold on to Jesus without the answers. Even when Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, they ask him, are you now going to restore the kingdom? They still think in their minds that he would be the Messiah they'd hoped he would be. And Jesus just ignores it. And he says, no, you'll be clothed with power from on high. You don't even have an idea what I'm going to do. It's going to far exceed what you think. And now, as they're holding on to Jesus, in the confusing in-between, Jesus is about to birth something new. Now, in the confusing in-between, you have a choice. What are you going to do? It's really funny, in the story of the Gospels, we can see that Peter is so confused, he doesn't even know what to do. Do you know what he suggests they should all do? Go fishing. I don't understand why we do. Let's go fishing. I mean, that's what Peter used to do before Jesus called him. So he's very easy in this season, just to go way back to everything that you've always done. Let's just go fishing. Let's forget all about it. Let's distract ourselves. Let's find something to be hopeful about. No, no, that's not what Jesus wants us to do. He doesn't want us to go back to the old. He wants us to let go of the old so we, we can receive the new. Just like um, Joe was saying, there's a season where we've got to learn to worship again and hold on to Jesus. In this season, if we don't know where things are going, what they look like, we've got to learn to let Jesus be our everything and trust him. And in that season, Jesus wants to birth the new in us. I've just had five months of learning to be quiet. Even the first month coming back, I felt Jesus saying, be quiet. And I think in this season, we've got to learn, if we want to let go of the old, be quiet. Let your heart be quiet before God. To listen to him, to what he wants to do in this season, rather than telling him what, he, what we would like him to do in this season. Receive from him. Journal about the pain that you're going through, the things that you've got to let go of. And then, let's be hopeful that Jesus is going to birth something new out of the old that will be way beyond anything that you could have ever imagined. Guess what happened at Pentecost? There were 120 believers, the fruit of Jesus' ministry for three years, that had gathered together. That's all there was. And in one day, in one day, 
it goes from 120 to 3,120. Now imagine, we had our weekend away last week, that was about 120 people. Imagine adding 3,000 people to that. It's going to be a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah? I mean, that's busting your dreams way beyond. And I think what Jesus is doing, he's birthing something new that is way, way beyond what the disciples could have imagined. They were thinking Jesus would be the one who would be the Messiah and deliver them from the Romans. They could not imagine a revolution that would change the whole world. I mean, Jesus is not here to try and fix your few broken dreams and, and, and help us get out the Fletton Center again. He's about transforming your life, Peterborough, the UK, Europe, the world. And that's what you and I get to be part of. And as we get hold of that, he wants to birth something that goes way beyond what we could ever imagine. So my question to you is, are you willing to let go of the old? Are you willing to hold on to Jesus in the confusing in-between and allow him to birth the new out of the old that will go way beyond your old dreams, way beyond what you could imagine? I don't expect you to answer that straight away, but take it home. Wrestle with God on these things and then come back to him. Shall we take some time to respond to that? Maybe the worship team could come back up. And as we're going to worship, I want to encourage you. Why don't you open your heart? Perhaps you need to let go of some of the old. Perhaps you need to just hold on to Jesus in this confusing time. Perhaps Jesus is already starting to birth something new in your heart. Why don't we receive it together? Let's stand together. Let's pray and then we'll worship. Jesus, forgive us when we have sought to project our little dreams on you. When we've wanted you to be a glorified Messiah that would just make our life easier. Lord, we pray that you help us to let go of that. To let our old dreams die. Help us to hold on to you, Lord. Forgive us when we've just gone back to the old things, distracted ourselves, when we've done everything except holding on to you in the confusing in-between. And we pray, Lord, will you come and birth something new in this season out of our heart that will go way beyond anything we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.